Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to worship with you. And we normally use the NASB over at Trinity, and, uh, and I heard you have the ESV. I, I searched my shelf. All I have was a study Bible, so I'm not sure the stand's going to withstand the weight of the, the ESV study Bible. So um, let's pray, and then we're going to read out of Psalm 57. So, Father, uh, I pray that you would bless Bless my words and bless our understanding that your name would be glorified and that, um, that, that the church would be blessed by our time here because of your goodness and your mercy, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Psalm 57. <clears throat> and I have a little bit of a cold, so I'll, I apologize. You'll, you'll, there'll be some throat clearing that's going to have to happen. All right, Psalm 57. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions, I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So... The message of the psalm, the psalm's great. It's, it's divided up into, into two parts. Um, it's, it's David's asking God, praying for God to deliver him, and then it's David praising God, singing aloud um, after, after he's delivered. So the, I'm going to give you the summary right up front, because uh, that's how I like to hear it. Uh, the summary is, in times of trouble, pray and then praise. Okay? Real simple. In times of trouble, pray and then praise. But first I thought, we'd, we'd, before we get into the, the, the meat of the psalm, just, just a little bit, I haven't heard many sermons on psalms. And maybe, maybe you guys have done a psalm series or, or come back to the psalms, but I haven't, I haven't heard too many. And the psalms are, are a unique book of the Bible, right? If you've read through the Bible, if you have, you have your yearly reading plan, or um, you get to the psalms and, and it's, it's different, right? Psalms are poetic. Right? As we were reading, I was reading about you know, the, the shelter of God's wings and fiery lions surrounding, surrounding David. So you, you have this symbolic, poetic language that you have to deal with when you read the Psalms. Uh, and, then, and then when you read the New Testament and you see quotes to the Psalms, the, everyone in the New Testament is talking about how it's, it's proclaiming Jesus. And so you have this, you have all the, the symbolic language but then you have this prophetic language as well. So you have 
this, this revelation of who Jesus is in the Psalms. And so the Psalms might be talking about David and Israel on one level, but then on another level, they're, they're talking about Jesus and the church. And so we've got we've to you know, balance and weigh those things. And then the other interesting, strange thing about the Psalms is, is that they're meant to be sung. They're psalms. They're songs, right? And so just as we were singing hymns, you sing psalms. And so there's, there's a, a, a unity involved in, in the psalms. There's, there's the prayerful nature of it. And, and then, yeah, the, the prayers, the prayer aspect of it as well. So this is a song, but it's a song meant to be prayed. Right? David is addressing God. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. This is, this is a direct address, something that should inform our prayers, that should help us to pray, and, and is a way of praying. <clears throat> and then, then one more aspect of the Psalms that's, that's worth mentioning is, is that it, it's also inspired. So we have God's word that's intended to be sung back to him and prayed to him. So just as, as, we're, as, we're, as, as we're going through this, this text this morning, I just kind of wanted to, to lay some of that as, as a groundwork for trying to understand you know, what, what this text is. What, what are we reading? Because uh, this is a prayer given at a specific time. right? If, if you've got, I, I don't know how many of your Bibles have uh, headings on them, uh, not just the study Bibles do, but a lot of Bibles have, have a, a, like an introductory heading and this one says, to the choir master, according to do not destroy, a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. Now, some of those words, we don't really know all of what they mean. Like mictum, it's, it's, it's probably some sort of song instruction. And do not destroy might, be, might have been a tune that they sang it to. Um, but what's clear is, is this is a, a really... It's an indicator of, of what the understanding was of the, the setting for this psalm, right? Because we can all understand of David, so David, King David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. And in the Old Testament, there's two times where David gets involved in cave situations. Um, the, the one that, that this seems to be pointing to is 1 Samuel 24. So I put some post-it notes in so I could flip back and forth. Uh, we're going we're gonna to jump back and forth because the context of this is really interesting. And then it, it's also, I think, helpful to understand the, the, the psalm, the prayer, the intensity of, of what's going on, and, and the symbolic nature of, of what David's telling us by looking at you know, kind of the narrative telling of, of the situation. So if you've got your Bible and you want to flip back and forth, we're going to be in 1 Samuel 24 a bit, and then we're going to jump back and forth with Psalm 57. Um, and, and again, we're doing this to see how his prayer and his praise, how it fits, you know, the actual historic telling of the events, because at the end of this, what I want you to do is, is to say, okay, David had trouble, and this is how he responded. This is what he did with his trouble. We have trouble, so how do we respond? We should respond like David responded. So... 1 Samuel 24, 1 through 2 starts out. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 cho chosen men 
out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. Okay? Earlier in the chapter, or earlier in the book, Saul had given instruction to his men to kill David. They're, they're, they're going to kill him. They're on the hunt for him. He's run away. They're tracking him down. He, the king wants you dead, and the king is bringing 3,000 men to hunt you down. And here's how David prays. He starts off, Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass. <coughs> so the situation is dire, right? David is in the recesses of a cave, the back recesses of a cave, and uh, you don't have a lot of caves in Kansas, but uh, there, there seems like caving is kind of a thing around here. Uh, is it at this church as well? Uh, over at Trinity, there's a lot of guys who like to go caving, and I haven't done it. My, my idea of caves is that they're, you know, they're cold and they're wet, and you, know, you have to like, get down and they're muddy, and, and you, it's, you have to crawl on your belly sometimes. Like, right? That's not, it's not a pleasant place. And especially if you've got 3,000 men, and I mean, oftentimes caves, they have one way in and one way out. And so if you're running away from someone, sure, it's, it's good to duck in, but there's not, there's not like a second option. You're stuck. You're trapped. All right? But how does David describe the cave? Does he describe it as cold and dank and, and, and wet and muddy? No, he says, in, in you my soul takes refuge. Talking to God. In the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. And that's when they're in the innermost part of the cave, right? So how, how can you have the contrast between a warm, protective wing? Now, we had chickens, and so I don't know. You, you, but surely you've seen some sort of video or some sort of something where, where a bird protects its young birds, young birdlings? Should have looked that word up. Um, it, it's, it's young chicks or hens or whatever. Um, it, it takes its outer wing and it pulls it in, right? So you have the warmth, you have the protection, you have the security of the mother over the young bird. That sounds a lot different than a cave to me, right? So what do we have here? We've got a physical situation, we've got a physical circumstance that, that the reality is David's life is in danger, he's being hunted, they're looking to destroy him, they're looking to kill him, and, and he is praying that he is safe under the protection of God's wing, right? And that's, that's symbolic. I mean, we're not thinking of, of God actually having real wings. This is, this is a symbol. We should be thinking about the, the, the chicken covering her chicks. So we've got the physical circumstance, but we also have the spiritual reality. So the spiritual reality is David is being protected. David is being cared for. David is in a situation where he's safe, even though he's being hunted. That's hard to do, isn't it? I, I mean, just, just in, I, I noticed, because uh, I don't know most of you. Um, I, I know some, but not most. And, but I noticed a lot of, a lot of young kids. And, and we had, my oldest is now 13. Um, but... But 10 years ago, we had, we had like a two, a one, and a, and a newborn. And life was crazy and hard. And oftentimes, it, you know, 
you, you'll get people, well-meaning people come up and say, oh, the Lord has blessed you so well. And you're like, well, I was pulling my hair out all night long because I had kids screaming and crying. And, and so how do, we, how do we balance the, the, the real physical circumstance with the spiritual reality of, of what is true. I mean, children are a blessing for the Lord is truth. And it's really hard to deal with sick kids all night long for days on end. How do we deal with the reality that money's tight, but that we know that the Lord owns the cattle on a thousand hills and he's like a nursing mother to, to his children? How do we deal with the reality that Well, sickness, illness, uh, for ourselves. We, we, we serve the Lord, who is the great physician, who did create all our bodies, who does hold all things together, who does provide for us, and yet, physically, in the moment, we can be suffering, and, and we can feel that reality. Uh, so the way the Psalms does it is, is it often uses this symbolic language that emphasizes the reality, the spiritual reality of things, even when the physical circumstances don't look like it. I, 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 this got me thinking, um, you know, we, when we're tempted to sin, the Bible talks about Satan like a prowling lion looking for someone to destroy, right? These symbolic language shows us the reality of the circumstance that we're in. It shows us the, the gravity of the circumstance. It's... It, there's things that we can't see that are real. Things that God has promised that really tell us more about the situation than our eyes or our ears might be able to tell us in the moment. And so it's good for us. It's good for us to use these kind of images to express and to understand the spiritual reality. That life is more than just what we see and what we hear and what we feel. God's promises are true and we need to remind ourselves of that, and they should be reflected in our prayers. We need to remind ourselves of the spiritual truth and not just what we see, because sometimes what we see can be overwhelming. But what God has promised, well, let's talk about that. Um, Psalm, uh, Psalm 57, we're going to continue on, verses 2 and 3. Who is God praying to? Who is this God that he's praying to? I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. So David's clear that he knows who God is. God is gracious and merciful, steadfast, faithful in his love. Where did David get this? Did he make it up? So that language, God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness, that language is, is basically a, an exact quote from Exodus where God is introducing himself to Moses. So I, I just want to read a little bit. This is, on, this is on Mount Sinai. This is Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7. The Lord passed before me and proclaimed. So the Lord passes before Moses, and this is what the Lord says. The Lord... The Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children 
to the third and fourth generations. So did you hear that? The Lord, the Lord, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. This is the Lord that David's praying to, the same Lord that Moses was introduced to. Right? Because I wanted to highlight that because sometimes we get this idea in our heads that the God of the Old Testament is this vindictive, judgmental, harsh God, but the God of the New Testament is not. And, and you know, maybe you guys, you guys all know that, and I'm, I'm telling you things, and you're like, oh yeah, we, we know that, we're, we're, we're good on that. But this is, this is a common cultural understanding at the very least, right? That the God of the Old Testament is somehow a different God than the God of the New Testament. But if that's the case, then who's David praying to? David's praying to the same God that we pray to, the God abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, willing to send that out to us, able to send that out to us, because he's the same God that created the heavens and the earth. He's the same God that created you and I, the same God that, well, we'll we'll get to that here. Let's read verse 4, Psalm 57, verse 4. David says, My soul is in the midst of lions, I lie down amidst fiery beasts, the children of man, whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. So that's the symbolic language. 1 Samuel 24.3 says this, And Saul came to the sheepfolds by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. Did you get the picture? It's the same cave. Right? David's hiding, the, the men, Saul and his men are hunting David. David hides in a cave, and what a coincidence, Saul enters the cave, the very cave that David is hiding in the recesses of. So, what a coincidence, right? Or is the same God who created the heavens and the earth, the same God who ordains whatsoever comes to pass, the same God who puts David in the same cave as he sends Saul in, unprotected, vulnerable, right? David and his men against Saul in 3,000, not a chance. But Saul going into a dark cave to relieve himself, or David and his men have already slipped into? That's a different equation. That's a different equation that, that really God is the one who sets up. David, David wasn't planning this. I mean, there's, there's no indication that, that this, was, this was somehow intentional. So this is part of the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, that, that the situations that we see as coincidental, the situations that we see as lucky, maybe the situations that we see as unlucky, these are the things that God has, has put into our lives. And, and for what reason? That's not always clear, but this time it is. This time it is. Um, David, David is using a lot of, uh, we're, we're going back to that uh, symbolic imagery. Uh, in the NASB, what, what we have here in the ESV is beasts, the fiery beasts. Uh, the NASB translates it that they breathe forth fire. They breathe forth fire. And then, and then look, look at, at verse 4 there. Their teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongues are sharp swords. Right? All of this is, is about the mouth. And so, as, as we're going to see as we keep reading in 1 Samuel, uh, 
these advisors of Saul were saying, they were speaking lies to, to Saul. And they were saying, David wants to kill you. David wants to harm you. All right? But you can also think, you know, I don't know how deep this cave was, but Saul and his 3,000 men are out there. He could have been hearing the threats. He could have been hearing the marching. He could have been hearing, you know, the, the plans and, and the intentions that they had for when they found David and his men, how, what they were going to do to him. So, so we've got this, I mean, this is, their words are words of death. Words of lie, lying words and words of death that, that they're speaking. And, and that's, 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 what, that's what David's dealing with here. But then where does David go? Does David, does David return cursing with cursing, threats with threats? Now look at verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. Right? David goes to exaltation, adoration. David is, has, has his eyes, has set his eyes upon God, who is the source of his salvation. He knows that at this point it's, it's a desperate situation. This, this is where his help is going to come from. Keep going. Uh, Psalm 57, verse 6. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. And then look at the word but. But they have fallen into it themselves. Selah. So what's the context there? So they, they dug a pit, right? David's trapped in, 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 this, in this cave. Um, there's a trap for him. The trap is set. So what happens? Uh, I'm going to read out of 1 Samuel 24, 7 here. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Because the, the, psalm, the psalm shows this transition, right? There's, there's, the, there's the destruction, there's the fear. And then, but they fell into their own trap. And so what, what happens is, and I'm going to read a little bit more just because I, I think this is such a glorious way to, to see the connection between David's prayer and, and, and the reality of the situation. So Saul's in the cave. He's vulnerable. David is able to convince his men to not attack him. David sneaks up, cuts a corner of his robe, and then Saul leaves the cave. Right? I mean, that's one level of deliverance, right? They could have been caught. You know, somebody could have sneezed or somebody could have tripped over a rock. And, and, and it, it, the whole thing could have been brought down right there with, with David and his men trapped in the cave with 3,000 men outside. They wouldn't even have to attack. They'd just wait outside. But Saul leaves. And, and then David is delivered. And so I'm going to read a little bit. This is, this is a little bit longer. First uh, Samuel 24, 8 through 21. Afterward, David also arose and went out of the cave. So Saul's out of the cave. David also gets up, and he, he falls after Saul. He calls after him, My lord the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm. Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the, my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand. 
For the, by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord God judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, out of the wicked comes wickedness. But my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? And after whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord be judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it and plead my cause and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, You are more righteous than I, for you have repaid me good, whereas I have repaid you evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt well with me, in that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king, and the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me, and that you will not destroy my name out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. So we just see here, you know, the, the, the behold, David seeks, David seeks your harm. That's what the men were saying. These are, these are, he's surrounded by these fiery counselors. And the trap was the words, right? They, they had convinced Saul that David was out to get him. They had convinced Saul that David was the enemy. But then they fall right into the trap because instead of, instead of taking his, his moment, what seemed like a moment to all his men, he restrained himself. And he allowed, he, he, he allowed that opportunity, that demonstration, this is the corner of your, of your robe to demonstrate the truth. So he, he got to speak words of truth and he got to demonstrate by, by his restraint that there, there wasn't, that, that what, the, what the, the bad counselors were saying wasn't true. They fell into their own trap because they allowed David an opportunity. All right, so that, that's when we transition in the psalm. And we go from this, this prayer, this praise, we go from prayer to praise. So David's delivered. After this interchange, uh, and the, again, uh, some of this is speculation, right? Uh, you know, it, there's, there's no timeline here, but certainly the praise flows out. They dug a pit, but they have fallen into themselves. Verse 7, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. And I mean, th these lyrics right here could have been lyrics that we sang in, in one of the, the songs that we were, I, I, there, there was so much, you know, this how can you read this and not want to stand up and give exuberant praise? My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory or awake my soul. It's time. Awake, harp and lyre. Go sit at the drums. Go pick up the guitar. I will awake the dawn. And this, this has to be my favorite line in the psalm. I will awake the dawn. Like, I'm going to sing so loud that the day the sun is going to rise. Right? Now, that's, 
this is symbolic imagery, right? We're, we're, this, we're, this, is a, this is a psalm. But is that not something? Like, you know, okay, I'm, I'm, thinking, I'm thinking about at college. You know, you had, you had, you, in the dorm, you have quiet time, quiet hours, right? You, you're not supposed to be too loud after, a, at least at my college. I don't know, maybe that's not common. Um, the, you're at a hotel, and you know, you, it's quiet times at 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock to 6 o'clock, be quiet. Right? David's been hiding in a dark cave, and now he's ready to bust forth and, and sing loud praises, bold praises, public praises. Because it's not just, hey guys, let's, let's sing in the back of this, this cave here. It's, I will, verse 9, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. So not just among his people, even. Not just among the Israelites, not just in the temple, not just at the synagogues. This is this is, well, it's eschatological, right? It is, it is showing us what is the future. We have the future hope of all of the nations coming together to worship Jesus. But here, we've got at least that David is ready to go out in the streets, to go out up to the stronghold and praise God, worship God boldly, publicly in front of all the people. So I, I think this tells us a lot about David, and it should tell us a lot about ourselves. Because what I see here is that David has a spirit of adoption. Okay, David knows who his father is. He knows his father is good. He knows his father is full of loving kindness and faithfulness. So, okay, going back to being parents of young children, what happens when your kid has a nightmare? Right? They call out, Mommy, Daddy. They, they know where their help comes from. Like this, there's this weird thing that's happened that I don't understand and I'm scared. And so what do you do? They call out for help. And it's natural, it's good, because, well, that's what happens in a good relationship, right? I mean, there, there are, that, that parent-child relationship can be broken. And unfortunately, that's, that's what sin has done to us, right? Sin has made it so that we don't have that natural inclination toward God as our Father. God is the source of all good things. Instead, we tend to run away. We tend, like Adam and Eve, to try and cover our sin. We tend to try and hide from God. We don't, in the time of trouble, we don't have that inherently, that natural inclination to turn to God. I know this is true in my life. I... I like self-sufficiency. I like to try and solve my problems myself. Uh, you know, there's, there's lots of ways we can do that. Uh, you know, sometimes people isolate themselves from their problems. Sometimes people medicate themselves from this, their problems, or they intoxicate themselves from the problems, right? You can, uh, a popular one among teenagers, right, is putting on kind of a facade of coolness, right? I don't have to deal with my problems because you can't see them because I hold you out this far away from me, and you'll never know it. You know, some people work themselves to death. I have problems, and so I'm going to throw myself into my work, and I won't have to see my problems because I'm successful in my business, I'm successful in my life outside my family, and so I'm just going to do with that because that's a place that I can be successful. But that's not the response of a child of God. 
that's not the response of someone who has a spirit of adoption. Right? The, the response of someone who has a spirit of adoption says, God, you are the one that holds all this together. God, you are the one who put this into my life. Father, you're the one who could solve this problem in a way that I could never even fathom. Right? And we have to acknowledge the truth that God could have resolved all this before David had to flee with 3,000 people. Right? But God allows troubles in our life. God allows conflict and problems. But we have to train up that spirit of adoption in us. We have to train up that, that relationship, that inclination back to trusting in God for his goodness, to trusting in God for his mercy. And, I, and as I was thinking about this, I, I was thinking, uh, I don't know when it was, but in school at some time, you know, did you guys learn stop, drop, and roll? Was that a thing? Did everybody have stop, drop, and roll? Right, I, I, I'm 42 years old. I have never set myself on fire. But I know if I do, what I'm going to do is I'm not, right, because the, the natural inclination is I'm gonna, you run away from fire. But like if it's on you, if it's on your clothes, you're supposed to stop, just in case you guys didn't learn this. You're supposed to stop, and then you drop down the ground, and then you roll, and that smothers the, the fire. Right? So clearly, either that was a big problem in the past, or, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it, we had, there has to be a way of taking our natural inclination and training it out of us so that we do something different. We have a different response. And so, with, with this simple formula that, that I want you to go away from, in times of trouble, pray then praise, I, I want you to take, and I want that to be like a stop, drop, and roll. Okay? So instead of, in times of trouble, I'm going to do this thing that I've normally always done. It has to be that we pray. It has to be that we try and see what the spiritual reality is behind the, the physical circumstance that we're in. And it has to be that we acknowledge God is who he is, and God loves us and cares for us, and God has ordained the situation that we're in in a way that draws us toward our Father, draws us toward the, the maker of heaven and earth, the one who holds all things together, the one who does all things for the good of those who believe in him. And that, that would be us approaching God as our Father. That would be evidencing a spirit of adoption. Right, because sons ask for things. I've got two sons, I have four daughters. They ask for things, right? When they want something, they ask for it. Jesus says this, he says in Matthew 7, he says, if your son asks for a, a bread, do they, does the father give him a rock? How much more your heavenly father? Right, or uh, in James 4, 2, it says, you do not have because you do not ask. Do we even ask? When we, when we have struggles, when we have troubles, when we have struggles or trouble or trials, are we asking God for deliverance? Are we asking God for help? Are we going to him? Are we seeking help? And then, sons love, right? Sons love. So if you have trouble and you have deliverance, sons express gratitude. This is hard, right? I mean, all, all of these... 
praying in times of trouble, that's hard to do. It's easy to think, I need to, get, I need to get active, I need to get involved. Now, clearly you do, right? I mean, David didn't just sit around and wait for Saul and his, his 3,000 men to come get him, right? He, he ran, he hid, he, did, he collected men, he collected arms, he did what he needed to do, and he prayed, right? So I'm not, I'm not saying be passive, just sit back and, and you know, let, let God do what, what God's going to do. But don't neglect prayer. Pray that God would use all of your circumstance for his glory to demonstrate his faithful love. Pray and trust God in his promises and, and just acknowledge that trouble really is a good reason to pray. Like, sometimes I get a little uh, proud, maybe is the right word, and, and I'm like, well, you know, I didn't pray yesterday when I didn't have trouble, and now today I do have trouble. Like, marital conflict is, is, is a really good one. And it's like, well, I'm going to look self-righteous if I pray, right? This, this would be it would be bad to stop this argument now and, and offer to pray because that would look arrogant or self-righteous. And let me just say, that's stupid. Don't be stupid. Trouble is a great reason to pray. If trouble brings you to prayer, if trouble dri drives you to prayer, then, then that is doing a good work. Let it do its good work. Let it drive you to get comfort from God. Because you can pray with confidence that, that the God who delivers his people, who has a history of delivering his people, he will show that same faithful love, that same steadfastness with you that he showed thousands of years of, of, of people throughout, throughout time and history. And then praise. Uh, and this is another just hard one. Maybe it's just hard for me. Maybe you guys are all good at praising. Um, it's cheap to complain, right? I mean, I'm thinking about... Uh, the. COVID and government stuff, right? It's so easy to complain about all the stupid decisions. You don't even have to limit it to COVID, right? All the stupid decisions that people in authority make, right? Your boss at work, maybe. Maybe your boss at work makes decisions that make your life harder. And you're like, oh, it's cheap to complain, right? It's easy to complain. How often do we really praise people? Husbands, how often do you praise your wife? for a meal or a, a clean house or, or even a kind word or loving a neighbor or disciplining a child. I mean, how often, how often wives do you, do you praise your husband? Right? We, we, have this, we, have, we have this duty to God, but we, we, we owe it to each other too. I mean, we should, we should be giving thanks. Fathers to your children, children to your parents. So, I think if, if we set up, if we set ourselves up so we are more frequent in praying to God and praising God, and I don't just mean here, this is great, right? It is great to gather once, once a week and praise God. But do we praise God in our prayers? Do we praise God in our homes? Do we praise God in our driving? Do we praise God, you know, as, as, as if, if we're walking around the track up there? Because that's, that's a big purpose. That's a, what is the chief end of man? Does anybody know that one? What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Yeah. Right? So 
glorify him. Put that into practice. And then let, let, that, let those praise, let those answer prayers drive us to thanksgiving and praise in songs and in prayer and in conversations. Uh, and let it be in public. Like, I, I just, okay, so this is a unique setting for me, right? Uh, being at the YMCA, we come here and, and exercise or swim. But like, this is, this, is, this is public. This is fairly public, right? You're right here amidst people. This is great. But how often do we praise God publicly? Among the nations. We have the nations surrounding us, right? How often do we praise him among the peoples, among the nations? So we should, because God is good. God is good. He's a faithful father. He shows his faithful love. He's steadfast in his faithfulness. Even through struggles, even through trials. So, all right, uh, would everyone stand? And um, I'm going to pray, and then I think we have another psalm. Heavenly Father, your steadfast love is great to the heavens. And your faithfulness, Lord, as we walk out today, I just hope we'd look up and see the clouds and know that your love is greater, higher than even the clouds. Lord, be exalted. And let your glory be over all the earth, but especially here, especially now. Give us a spirit of adoption so that we would look to you as our Father, that we would ask and that we would praise, that we would pray and praise. And Lord, when do you send troubles, that we would pray and we would praise. I ask you to strengthen this congregation, Lord, that they would glorify you and enjoy you forever. I ask this in Jesus' name.